Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novels. I'm here today with C.S. Picot and Joanna the Mad of Boom's new comic, Fence. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey, great to be here. Hey. So um, these are two creators who I'm very familiar with from a completely different context. Um, they're definitely part of like how the web is opening up whole new fields of talent to professional comics. Uh, novelist C.S. Picot uh, is known for her uh, trilogy, The Captive Prince, and uh, basically that sort of in, originated in internet circles and Joanna the Mad is a famous fan artist famed across tumblers and couch pillows everywhere <laughs> thanks that's a great intro <laughs> yes yes I just saw your ad for Christmas um, throw pillows Joanna they're amazing thanks so um, let's start a little closer to the future, closer to the present than um, the origin story. How did you guys bring a project together with Boom? Did Boom bring you together? Did you together bring the proposal to Boom? How did you guys hook up? Please count. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Daphne, the editor of, the amazing editor of Fence at Boom, uh, reached out to me because she uh, was a fan of the Captive Prince series mm-hmm. uh, and just said to me, um, do you have any original ideas that you think might be well suited to a comic? And I said, um, yeah, I've got this idea that I've had for years I think would be amazing for a comic. And she said, great, send me through the pitch in about a week. And I was like, great. And then I um, quickly called up all my friends and I said, friends, I have to come up with a pitch for a comic in a week. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so then, um, but uh, my process for coming up with stuff is to just like make a list of all the things that I love and try and make it into a story. Um, And I love sports comics and I'm super keen and interested in fencing. So the pitch came together from there. Um, I pitched to Daphna and as soon as she received the pitch, I think within about five minutes, she just sent me back this all caps email that just said, I am screaming. (laughs) And then... um, and so she was really excited, and that's when we started to talk about who might be great to come on board as an, as the artist. And I'd been a fan of Joanna's for years, ever since I saw this amazing piece of um, Mulan fan art that she'd done that was like a modern-day Mulan, where Mulan was just looking so cool and genderqueer with a backwards cap, and I just instantly just fell in love and got a crush on that piece of artwork. Um, so Joanna's name came up as someone that... Um, you know, I would love to work with, and Daphna had been following Joanna for years as well, and so, um, so then we were just nervously waiting to see whether Joanna was interested in coming on board or not. <laughs> yeah, so they they contacted me, and and the year before I had already read Kat's books, the trilogy of Captive Prince, and I was just in love, in love with the books. So when Davna sent me the email telling me, oh, there's this story that that uh, Kat is working on. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I want to I wanna be part of that. And, and that's how we got together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so this is really a, a book made in the internet age because um, 
CS. Uh, how, how do you like to be referred to? You're, you're oh, please initials. call me Cat. Cat. Okay, Cat. Cat, <laughs> yeah. um, you're from Australia, and yeah. uh, Joanna, you're from Mexico. Right. And yet the world is small in the land of the internet, <laughs> and you already knew each other's work. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. And I have to say, like, I knew both of your names. And that is what had me being like, fence, fence, I must have this interview. Give me this interview <laughs> when I heard it was on the horizon. So um, let's not beat around the bush. Um, fence is marketed as being perfect for fans of Check, Please and Yuri on Ice. And listeners, if you don't know what these are, they're gay. They're also awesome. Um, and this comic looks to be in that tradition. Um, so, Cat, um, Captive Prince actually started online before it got a book deal. Um, right. I, I heard about it in fan fiction circles. Um, how did How did that, like, original fiction that you were just sort of posting on a lot, literally a live journal, like turn into the phenomenon that was Captive Prince? Did it just sort of like grow out of control? What happened? Uh, well, when I first started to write Captive Prince, there was nothing, there was nothing really like it, at least on commercial bookshelves. Um, and so I, I thought this isn't a book. But there was, you know, that amazing online space that was so full of vibrant work um, and, you know, uh, and queer work as well. Um, and um, so I just started to post it as, a, as an online fiction serial, never even dreaming about publication. Um, and uh, it sort of grew in uh, from word of mouth, um, from I think six readers was what the first post had. <laughs> Um, until uh, it had sort of tens of thousands of returning readers and millions of hits. Um, and around that time, I started to think, maybe this can be a book, maybe this can be published. Um, and at that time, I sent it out to a bunch of different agents and publishers. But um, I think the kindest response that I received at that point was, we just don't think there's a market for this book. No one was interested in publishing a book um, about gay princes that had already been given away for free on the internet. Um, and so, but I kept getting requests from readers for a paperback copy. Um, and I, so I self-published and it, uh, it turned out there was a market, um, like within about probably about 24 hours of the book being published, it was just hitting number one across categories on Amazon. And there was so much word of mouth that, um, it started to pick up reviews from mainstream review sites. And I think the first of which was a really positive review from USA Today. Um, and then after that happened, a New York agent approached me and said, I think we can sell this book to a big six publisher in New York. Um, and I just said, like, no, you can't. I <laughs> but, tried. Um, yeah. And, um, but I just signed with her in the spirit of pure optimism. And, um, and we ended up, uh, the book uh, ended up getting a couple of offers, um, the most robust of which was from Penguin. Um, and that, yeah, that's how that happens. But I think it's a, I, I think it's an amazing testament to the fact that the internet can open doors for new kinds of work because when, when something is new, you know, it's marketing potential is like, or it's sales potential is like zero or at best it's question mark. Um, 
And so I, I love the kind of new internet um, a pipeline, I guess, that allows artists to kind of prove, prove the existence of new markets and create new genres um, that can then go on to commercial success. So, Joanna, your fan art has always had a very beautiful but graphic novel-y quality to them, but I don't think Thank I've you. ever <laughs> seen you doing sequential art. Uh, had you been doing comics as well as as just art pieces all along, or is this like your entry into sequential art? Yeah, that's right. This is my first time working with, with comics, like uh, doing fan art. And, and that kind of stuff, being into so many different things, movies, books, uh, manga, comics, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, I've been drawing uh, like like just a little bit of tiny comic pieces, but not really, uh, nothing like fans, nothing like fans that was like, uh, like a, a book or a volume of just comics. It was more just like a, like a full piece but it's been so much fun <laughs> getting to draw over and over again all these amazing boys from from Cat Story. So yeah, this, this is my first time working like this. So um, the learning curve of like drawing a comic for the first time, like what what surprised you? Oh, <laughs> it was kind of like uh, like I I didn't get so like surprised maybe because just like a few months before I was contacted to work on fans I I met uh, with two great uh, Marvel artists uh, Ron Randall and Steve Lieber I met them and they told me yeah you, you have so much talent you could do really well in comics uh, here are some tips and that's when I got into it like oh maybe I could I could work in comics it would be so much fun and they gave me all these lists of of tips, of references to look at, of things to practice every day, and stuff to do, and and then I got called, and I was like, yes, I, I, have, <laughs> I have a field where to apply this. So, You've been doing a training montage in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So so yeah, like uh, I think the thing that 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 I got most surprised about was like um, that. I try hard, but I don't have to to get like anxious, you know. Like I don't have to make everything look perfect, so I don't get stressed. Like either way, it turns out fine because I give it a mood or or a feeling, so it turns out fine. It turns out the way I like. But but yeah, I was I was already like I knew what I was getting into more or less. Well, that's great. So, I mean. One thing I think a lot of people don't notice or miss out on about people coming out of fan communities on the internet, like I think a lot of people are like hobbyists, but really um, both of you are kind of business self-starters. I mean, um, Joanna, your shop has an amazing variety of items like I have not seen anywhere. Um, Are some of those like custom tote bags and pillows and whatever or do you like you make them did you find someone to do them for you like what gave you the idea to do this like amazing product line oh thank you <laughs> so here's the thing so uh 
I I already had like um, I was signed up into this website called Society Six. Yes. Where where yeah, you know how it works uh, over there in in the United States. They make uh, tote bags and and pillows with your design, and you get uh, a percentage of the of the earnings. But um, as I was getting into school and all that stuff, I I began to notice that I needed more money than what they were giving me. And so my mom came along and was like, oh, you know, you sell really well in your Society 6. Why don't you try? Uh, why don't we try making it like for us so we get all the earnings and not, not Society 6? And so my my grandma knows how to how to do how to how to do tote bags and pillows, and she's the one who helps me. So these are handmade because my grandma helps me. Oh and, my god! My I mom. have a tote bag your grandma <laughs> made. So That's amazing. amazing. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's a family business now <laughs> <laughs> that we that we all work on. My mom, my grandma, and me. And, and yeah, so that's basically it. like we also do wall tapestries and I'm on, and my grandma helps me there too. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and, you. and Kat, like you're talking about it, like, oh yeah, I kind of fell into self-publishing, but like basically you took a book that no one in the commercial industry was interested in and you made it a success. Like, aside from just, like, posting chapter after chapter of amazing, nobody else is writing something like this, unique, uh, historical fiction, skullduggery, gay novel, um, you, you kind of did some other stuff to get make it happen. Like, how, what was, what was the process of, of the evolution of, of, like, between, like, hey, I've got this thing, it's on LiveJournal, to, like, hey, this is how I'm going to make this book, and this is how this book's going to happen. Uh, yeah, there was a huge learning curve uh, when it came to the actual, actually self-publishing the book. Um, I feel like um, in, in some ways um, you kind of, I may, probably Joanna will relate to this as well, but it's <laughs> you, sometimes you just feel like that you, you're just, forced to become skilled in every form of human knowledge that there is because, um, you know, you're, you're commissioning, project managing, and sometimes doing yourself things like typesetting and ed editing and um, cover design and um, creating the book and then the business side of things as well, which is like, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's definitely a very steep learning curve. Um, but um, but it was it was a lot of fun, and I think that there's definitely some fun advantages over self-pubbing to commercial publishing. Um, if people out there are kind of considering what they should do, it's really great to be able to have total kind of total control, like make something to your own total produce. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, but it was also great to then hand over to the publishing company and let them do kind of like the majority of the the groundwork or the marketing and the business side. So neither of you have done a comic before. I mean, I, I don't think you have cat. Um, like, no. you know, yeah. <laughs> so like, and now here you are putting one out from a fairly significant indie publisher. Like what was it like, like, like 
getting involved in the industry? Like, what was the experience of like, okay, so we're doing a comic, and now, I mean, obviously, we've talked about the, the like, creative end for you, Joanna, but as far as, like, dealing with an editor, like, dealing with schedules, dealing with, with Boom, or Cat, uh, even just writing a comic, like, what well, for me, the like? differences were, um, first of all, the first simplest and most shocking difference to me is it's fast. Comics I are so know. fast. I have no idea how Joanna manages to draw these like amazing comic pages at the sheer speed that the industry demands. It's quite amazing. And I think it was sort of like three months from the time that the contract was signed to the first issue being released. That's how fast it moves. That's amazing. Uh, compared, That's fast even for yeah. comics. Well, compared with the... Um, the uh, lazy, laid-back gentleman's uh, lunch <laughs> speed of book publishing where um, <laughs> you get 18 months to write the book and then it's 18 months that they then spend publishing it. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a shock to the system. Um, I think the other thing that I was surprised about as a writer was um, just the economy of uh, that is required from a writing standpoint when you come to write a comic. Um, it's so economical and and so um, spare compared with the novel um, that every element has to be working 100%. Nothing can be extraneous. And, like, there's not really anywhere to hide in a comic because there's places that you can hide in a novel um, and play around and even make mistakes. But with a comic, every line has to be doing work and usually every line has to be doing more than one job. Um, Mm -hmm. especially in a sports comic, which has this huge roster of characters that, you know, you want everyone, you you need to introduce and you want everyone to fall in love with as much as you love them. (laughs) Um, But um, that just means you have to be just very economical in how you get information across and and sort of handle all the characters and and the writing. Yeah, I think for me would be the, the, yeah, just as, as Kat said, the deadlines are like, I, I'm still I'm still learning to to get used to them because I when I was working by myself, like I I was the one who who said oh for this week I'm gonna do all this stuff or on this month or I don't know these uh, three in the next three months but now it's like like every month I have a different deadline for something and, <laughs> and yeah trying to keep up with that it's it be kind of of like. Maybe not so not not so difficult, but but yeah, it's been definitely a, a challenge for me. <laughs> so let's talk about the book itself. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the pitch that made your editor go all caps? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I yeah, well, fence. Um, it's a story about fencing. Uh, it tells the story of um, 16-year-old outsider Nicholas Cox as he um, as he enters the world of competitive fencing and joins the team at an elite boys' school. Um, and the comic will follow him uh, through friendships and through rivalries, and um, of course through some romance between teammates as well. Um, yay! Yay! And um, it's super influenced by um, just all of the sports comics that that I love. Um, I think it's such a fun and amazing genre. Um, 
So um, some of my favorites that I would count as big influences would be like Haikyuu or Hikaru no Go, um, which is a comic from the 90s about the board game Go. Um, yeah, or, um, a classic. More, a classic, <laughs> an absolute classic. I love that comic so much. And I think that comic was really like a game changer in that genre because it took the sport so seriously. Like I think before Hikaru no Go, there was a lot of sports comics, but they're often... Not really uh, about I don't know, the sport. Like, they didn't really care well, about the yeah, sport. Well, yeah, or there would be like like Prince of Tennis where someone would do like a laser beam two-eye shooting attack <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, well, that's not really a tennis move exactly. Um, whereas Hikaru no Go was so accurate to the sport that it had like this young kid hanging out in Go salons with like old men smoking and like learning the <laughs> sport as he went along. Um, and uh, that's why I love Haikyuu as well. I think it takes the sport really seriously. And then more recently, you know, we've had um, the amazing webcomic Check, Please and, um, and Yuri on Ice, which is also like a, just a beautiful homage to the sport of figure skating. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's got a lot of fun influences and um, hopefully people will enjoy it. So talking about learning a sport as you go, um, did either of you have any knowledge of fencing before starting a comic about fencing? Me nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> like I've seen the sport, but obviously I I wasn't like cut at all. Like I have never tried it. I I knew what it was about, but when starting to work in pens, I was like, nope, no, I need to to go to the to the beginning. Like I I need to research everything, the rules and and the uniform. Since I was gonna draw everything, I needed to. Cut <laughs> even sent me every single part of the uniform and the name. And, <laughs> There's and a lot then, more parts than you think to that uniform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for the swords, the same thing. Uh, I'm I'm still working on trying to 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 draw them the right way. So yeah, it was it was also a challenge for me. <laughs> so the website um, has it listed as five issues. Um, is this going to be a mini or is this going to be an ongoing? Uh, so it's commissioned for five issues and um, it will be promoted to ongoing if it does well. So we're really hoping that um, that we'll be able to continue telling the story after the first five issues are done. Awesome. So, uh, but Kat, uh, you, do you have any background with fencing before writing a fencing comic? Oh, yeah. I fenced... Um, I fenced in high school. I fenced foil for about a year and then I switched to epee. Um, so as you may know, there's three different weapons in fencing. Um, and I won't get into the weeds, but they each have their differences and kind of different cultures. And there's a lot of good natured sledging that happens between proponents of different weapons. And, um, uh, but, um, but I eventually had to give up the sport actually just because it's so, it was, expensive um yeah and um and then I went back to it um when I started to write this comic um so uh and it's not like riding a bike <laughs> it was like uh my knees are a lot creakier now and it was a lot more difficult to do but I'm working with an FA coach um at, uh here in Melbourne oh that's amazing uh, can you yeah, write it off as a tax to... exam as, as like a tax expense? <laughs> like, well, it's research. You're getting it, Kate. You're you're getting it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, his name's Peter Lundberg, and he's um he's one of Australia's foremost epee coaches. So he 
he works not only to coach me but also as the choreographer um for the comic oh wow um and so, so we so this, this of, comic has a fight choreographer that's amazing yeah absolutely um yeah, so we choreograph this fight scenes first and then uh, we'll fence them out and then we'll film them from multiple angles um, as, like, art reference for oh, Johanna. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's dedication. Yeah, it's really fun. I always feel like if you're going to write a book, you may as well write it about something fun so you get to do, like, these quite enjoyable things. <laughs> but, that is um, amazing. Yeah, and then Peter is also our kind of final um, fencing accuracy check, and he's got a very I good know. eye. And he always has this yeah. last-minute frustrating nitpick that means that we have to change things. Um, but it's it's really wonderful. Like, we just um, – we really wanted to give the comic as much accuracy as we possibly could in that regard because I think for fences we wanted it to feel real. And for, mm-hmm. like, newcomers to the sport, we really wanted, like, it to just – show them a whole world of detail and, you know, the, all the fun, great things about fencing. So that sounds like a heck of an extra for your fans. Are you ever going to put out some of these reference pictures so people uh, <laughs> see how the magic is made? I know that Every... as a fan, I, I would love that in my, like, special box set. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, every now and again, I'll, I'll like throw up one of the behind the scenes videos like onto social media. Um, but I, yes, I try and choose the ones. It's very difficult because both Peter and I don't want to put up the ones where we look embarrassing. <laughs> so only a select <laughs> few videos make it. <laughs> so, wow, this is, this book sounds amazing. Um, so the first issue has just come out, right? The, yes. Yes. Because hey. the, the Boom website's a little confusing about that. And like, I, I you know, I had been carefully following this since like I knew the, the week the comic was coming out and now I'm on the website and it's like listed as a back issue and saying that issue two is available now. And I'm like, I don't think issue two is available now. Um, it's I not, think is issue it? two is, um, well, I think issue two is available for pre-order now. Um, but it's not out. It's not out now. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Um, so you're coming out on a monthly basis. You're not doing like a funky Marvel thing where you come out on like every six weeks or every two weeks or something like that. <laughs> As, no, I think we're coming out pretty much monthly. Um, uh, yes. Fingers crossed. We're coming out monthly. Yeah. <laughs> If we make all our deadlines, we're coming out monthly, Kate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, are there any, like, amazingly fun moments or cool things that you um, want to, like, tease your potential readers with to get them to pick up this book? <gasps> oh, my oh gosh, my there's so many cool things. Well, oh, then just keep telling them without giving the whole story. <laughs> you know, just, like, moments snatches a trailer as it were (laughs) Mm. Uh, hmm. um i kind of want to launch into you know that speech from the princess bride where he's like sword fights adventure true love Ah, i know (laughs) yeah well that might make the perfect like voiceover for a comic trailer for it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i think so too um Hopefully it's got something that everyone will enjoy. It's definitely like um, 
you know, it will, I hope, make everyone fall in love with the sport of fencing. The artwork, Johanna's artwork is absolutely stunning. Um, Thank you. And, and yeah, lots of, like, cute characters that that we're in love with and we hope that everyone else will fall in love with as well. Yeah, we're really hoping that that everyone likes the the characters, like our babies, <laughs> once, yeah. once they get to know them. Because it's not just that we we work hard on them, but we also like really really love them. And every time Kat and I talk, we're like, oh my god, I can't wait for this, and oh my god, what is <laughs> like this? It's so much fun that it's yeah. like we can't wait to share it. You know, like when you're. Yeah, exactly that. When you're working on something, but you cannot show it at all, we're we're actually kind of frustrated at the moment that that people cannot see more yeah. <laughs> of fans. But yeah. And uh, is there anything that you haven't done yet in fence that you'd love to be able to do if you go past five issues? <gasps> There's so much that I'd love to be able to do if we go <laughs> past five issues. Everyone buy the comic so that we can get to do like the really yeah. fun stuff. Um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, five issues is not very long, so it's really, um, it's really just the beginning in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there's so much potential to develop, you know, the intense relationships between characters. There's certain characters that I'd love to see fence each other that, you know, um, when they meet, (laughs) it's going to be really exciting. Um, and of course, you know, we want to be able to take the team all the way to the state championships if we can. (laughs) Yay! So, out of curiosity, um, and I didn't see this in any of the promo materials, given that one of you is Australian and one of you is Mexican, what country is this set in? The names don't make it clear at all. Ah, it's set in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually set uh, in the state of Connecticut, which, as an Australian, I find very difficult to spell. Um, (laughs) What made you choose such a hard-to-spell state was there anything particular Um, about connecticut so um well you'll be able to correct me uh if i'm wrong but um from all the from all i've been told and from all the research that i did it was a really interesting state in terms of like um there's quite a class divide within the state Mm -hmm. so it really does have like these like super posh rich schools with a real kind of red brick heritage feel to them um but it's also got pockets of extreme poverty as well um, which I thought was a, a very interesting backdrop um, for the story. Um, the, the actual kind of number one fencing state in America is New Jersey. Um, so um, I'd been tempted to set it there too, but I thought the fact that Connecticut um, was less of a fencing state actually worked to, to our advantage because we could set up fencing infrastructure there and, and instead of... Um, <laughs> Using the real one, on you could make what it was already there. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Awesome. Hey, who knows? Maybe it'll build a fencing culture in Connecticut. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is amazing, and I can't wait to hear more from you guys about this book. And in future years, as fence turns into a, a mega seller. Or ultimately, the first <laughs> the first step on a long career of comics. Yes. Oh, fantastic, Kate. We're so excited. Yes. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons at Anime NYC. Um, this is Publishers Weekly More to Come podcast. 
and I'm here with Lee Sean Thomas. Hi, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your current projects? Hi, my name is LaShawn Thomas. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a television animation producer and director um, currently operating out of uh, Meguro, Tokyo, mm -hmm. in Japan. Um, I originated in New York City, made a transplant to Los Angeles where I uh, cut my teeth in uh, television animation production and working on shows like The Boondocks, On Adult Swim, um, Ben 10 Alien Force, uh, Warner Brothers uh, directed video projects like um, Batman Superman Public Enemies and Green Lantern First Flight and then eventually relocated to South Korea where I uh, worked as an independent subcontracting uh, artist um, projects like Legend of Korra mm -hmm. uh, and then relocated back to the States working on um, Black Dynamite as creative producer and supervisor director on seasons one and two. That was a great show. <laughs> Wasn't it fun? Um, super wildly inappropriate but uh, still good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I uh, worked on that show for a couple seasons and then uh, decided to uh, go my own route and uh, crowdfund uh, some money to produce a, a sample of a pilot for a TV series, actually mm -hmm. a bunch of fantasy series called Cannon Busters and um, delivered that pilot uh, last year. Um, and that the Kickstarter also got the attention of Crunchyroll, which is one of the major sponsors for Anime NYC. Anime yeah. NYC. And um uh, I produced and created and directed their first original anime series project, Children of Ether, which came out in July. So, and then Netflix just recently picked up my Cannon Busters pilot series for full 12 episodes, which uh, we're currently in production on right now. I'm living in Japan. Making so, so they're being it's in production in Japan. Correct. So you've worked in animation in the United States, Korea, and Japan. Uh, how does the experience differ from you in those different places, and how is it the same? Um, I, I think the most glaring changes are obviously the culture and the language. Mm -hmm. um, the sort of studio etiquette is different, obviously. But I think the biggest glaring difference is um, the production pipeline. We, uh, in the United States, we don't normally animate our animated television shows, like Simpsons, Family Guy, Steven Universe. Uh, boondocks. Those shows are actually animated in South Korea and Seoul. Um, we handle pre-production and post-production, which consists of writing, voice record, storyboards, um, all the way down to editing and final mixing and music. But we don't actually produce the animation for a lot of our shows, our big shows. So um, in the United States, it's pre-production and post-production. The difference in Korea is that it's usually just main production, which is the animation. A lot of animation studios in Korea don't do pre-production or post-production for the American shows. And then in Japan, they do all of that. So uh, they do pre-production, main production, and post-production all under the same roof, most of their productions. So some of the in-betweening is done in China, but the large chunk of the full production process is all done under one roof in-house. Um, those are the difference between those three, three animation uh, environments for me. So... Do you have any insight into why that is? Um, not any insight that I could answer in this short period of time. Okay. But but I, I definitely think that uh, finance and economics play a role in why we outsource, you know, a lot of our uh, main animation production overseas. I mean, that why why do we outsource any 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 product that we do in the United States? You know, it's uh, it's to expedite the process, work labor, um, available talent. There's a number of different factors that I think is why we um, produce 
our content that way. And as more regions and companies uh, make themselves available to provide that kind of service work, the more attractive, you know, um, that that sort of uh, interest becomes, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, just in terms of like saving a dollar, overhead, you know, talent availability, and so on and so forth. So, it just, it, it just, I think there are a number of different reasons, but I think you can boil it down to those. So, can you walk us through a day at work in Japan where you're working right now for you? Well, right now we're in pre-production, so essentially it's just a lot of emails, revising storyboards and character designs. <laughs> okay, so then when you were in Korea, what was it like? Uh, well, like it was, a regular day? It was the main studio. production. I mean, you know, you wake up, you go to work, and usually depending on what stage of production, if you're handling... I mean, my job was storyboards when I yeah. worked in Korea, so it was essentially just, you know, we had two weeks for rough boards and two weeks for clean boards, so essentially... You're working anywhere between eight to you know ten, fifteen hours, you know storyboarding. Your, yes, you're storyboarding your sequences. So you know animation is compartmentalized, so there's no mm-hmm. the the process changes throughout the course of of, of of the project. So you know you could spend a a good eight months on just pre-production design, storyboards, color, voice records, and then once animation happens, you know you're spending a chunk of your time on that, and then you're editing, and then since episodes are done at a certain certain several episodes are done at the same time, things start to stagger. So you could be wrapping up post-production on the final mix of one episode while in the middle of storyboards on another. So um, there's no, like, flat experience, mm. you know, that you can, you know, uh, say is, you know... A normal day. Of, yeah, a normal day, yeah, it's always... And See, in the higher up in, in the higher up in the, on the chain you are, the more other responsibilities yeah, you have to be mind, mindful of. Production... Um, Production coordinating meetings, uh, consumer products meetings, because they're ancillary rights and stuff, spinoffs, merchandise and stuff. So, you know, it, it depends on what your role is. So, do you speak any Korean or Japanese? I speak Korean, but I don't speak any Japanese. Okay. So, you're both a comics creator and an animation producer. How do these, how do these different roles fit in your life? Do you do them at the same time? Do you do want? Do you work on, you know, comics in between, like? What do they mean to you? Um, well, in answer to your first question, I haven't produced a comic in almost 10 years. Mm. So um, the last comic I produced myself is now a, a TV series on Netflix coming soon. You know, So um, I haven't produced a comic book in some time. So I don't currently make comic books. I'm just primarily television animation production. Um, but I think... I think part of the reason why comics are important to me is just another tool for storytelling that I like to use to exploit my love for illustration. Same way with animation, mm-hmm. same reason. You know, Animation, in particular television animation, isn't just illustration, it's filmmaking. Yeah. So I'm a very big fan of both of those mediums and I feel like TV animation is the perfect excuse for me to sort of play in those two worlds simultaneously. So. You crowdfunded the pilot for Cannon Busters, your own original animated series based on the comic you're talking about, uh, back in 2014. Now mm-hmm. it's 2017 and it's been picked up for a 12-episode season by Netflix. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey from, like, I have this graphic novel to now? Well, originally the graphic novel was supposed to have been an original six-episode miniseries, but at the time that I started drawing that comic, I was also 
the director and um, a co-director, excuse me, co-director and supervising character designer on a show called The Boondocks, mm-hmm. which was a massive, massive media yeah. right when it landed. And having a senior role, two senior roles on that production, seasons one, um, it just didn't seem possible for me to draw a monthly comic book and have two jobs on yeah. one of the biggest shows at the same time. So one of them had to give. And after the first issue premiered and it sold out and did well, I told the publisher that I would be sort of scaling back my responsibilities to focus on my television animation career, but I would still like to do it as a graphic novel in my own time. And then eventually, I never got a chance to finish it because I kept getting more work. So by the time I reached reached to Korea, my tenure as a television animation production artist had eclipsed my tenure as a comic illustrator. And since I wanted the comic to be a cartoon anyway, I just made that connection was able to use my resources to get it done and then that became a Kickstarter and then eventually an animated pilot that Netflix saw and, and took on. Yeah, so let's let's take that apart a little bit. So how did that Kickstarter work? It was amazingly successful. Like did you did you consult with other people who had Kickstarted before? Like what went into it? What was the experience like? No, I mean, it was really just me doing a little bit of my research, you know. Um, I have experience putting videos together. I have experience um, editing content in a way um, that best showcases my personality and my work. I did a six-episode uh, video diary called Soul Sessions when I was in Korea. So the Kickstarter video, which was essential to the show, being, to the project doing well, I think um, was sort of a... A culmination of my experience doing that. So having an already successful video and then getting the right team together who all had their own individual following, I was able to put together a campaign that not only showcased an idea that was sort of right at the time, having wrapped up Black Dynamite, but also um, I had a brand online that was relatively known that people were prepared to, you know, prepared to sort of support on top of that, the project I was putting forward was something we hadn't seen before in a long time from the United States. You know, an action adventure comedy fantasy series, you know, starring a female of color. Um, there were a lot of things happening with a lot of fan bases based off Boondocks and Black Dynamite that wanted to see something like this. And then you add that combined with the idea that all of the people who contribute to the project have their own following as well. Joe Matarera is a massive, massive celebrity in his in his community. Thomas Romain, Thomas Romain, who worked on Oban Star Races, was part of Satellite. Satellite, the creators of Mac Cross Frontier and Mac Cross Delta, Robotech, was a part of the project. You know, we had Tim Yoon as a consulting producer. He worked on Legend of Core. So we had all of these different elements um, and combining in one area. And then you add the fact that each of these guys had their own massive following. Yeah. So when the premiere was released, when the, when the, when the yeah. campaign was launched, they reached out to their fan base and said, hey, I'm doing a cartoon with this guy. You know, so if no one knew who Sean Thomas was, they knew who Joe Matarero was. Yeah. They didn't know who Joe Matarero was, they knew who Satellite was, you know. So I think it was a, a sort of lightning in the bottle scenario that I, I wouldn't be able to duplicate again. Yeah. Um, and so how did you get picked up by Netflix? Uh, same way I guess anybody gets picked up, you know. They, they saw the content, they thought it was good, and they wanted to experiment and try some new things, and they reached out you know, to our camp, and we were able to, you know, negotiate a deal that, that worked out for everyone to get this ball rolling. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Cannon Busters? Cannon Busters is an action-adventure fantasy series about um, the meaning of friendship, 
know, you've heard this theme many, many times, um, but it centers around a friendship robot uh, named Sam who belongs to a very affluent, wealthy kingdom um, now under siege by a sorcerer uh, during a time when magic is extinct. So Prince is on the run, who's the heir to the throne, who the sorcerer is after, and Sam is the best friend of this prince. And she's only programmed to make friends, and she decides to go on a journey to locate the prince herself in this dangerous world where she's only programmed to make friends. And she befriends two individuals, an outdated maintenance robot and a wanted deadly fugitive on the run. And the three of them, the two of them agree to help her locate her best friend. And it's a road show, that's essentially what the show is. So each episode is a different town, different location, different adventure, different story. Um, and the B story is the prince's journey. So uh, it's fun. It's, it's totally influenced by shows like Samurai Champloo and Cowboy Bebop and you know, Space Dandy and stuff. So big Watanabe fan. So uh, it's a show geared for girls 15 and up. Okay. Th Lee Sean Thomas, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you know you taking the time to hear me talk about my own stuff. <laughs>